Hey, hey, hola. Welcome to Earth Sauce, the show in which we break down new scientific publications into bite-sized chunks for your listening pleasure. My name is Kyle, and I'll be your guide for the next little bit while we delve into this week's paper. If you have a paper that you'd like me to break down, you can email the citation to podsauce at gmail.com. With that being said, let's go ahead and get started on this week's article. Continuing on from the last episode, we will be furthering the discussion on epigenetics and how this field has advanced over the past few years and how the study and research in this field has advanced human health. The paper for this episode entitled Advances in Epigenetics Links Genetics to the Environment and Disease published earlier this year by Cavalli and Hurd discusses the history of the field of epigenetics since its discovery a few decades ago as well as how the new research shows how the environment and how genetics affect one another and how disease can play a role in this interchange. So this being a review paper, they didn't have a discrete hypothesis per se, but they do discuss, again, new advances in the field of genetics, as well as how inheritance of epigenetic markers and the effect that the inheritance of epigenetic markers has on not just an individual, but its progeny as well. Going into some definitions that are specific for this paper, we're first going to start off with how these authors define epigenetics. And here they, they define it as the study of mechanisms and molecules that can affect gene activity in the same DNA sequence. Um, I'm quoting this directly from page one. Um, so it'll be there when you read the paper. The next differentiation we need to make is between how cells develop or their potency. So cell potency is just the ability of cells to differentiate into specialized cell types during the development of an embryo. Going from most potent to least potent, we start with totipotency um, for totally potent is an easy way to remember it. Um, these cells can form all cell types, including extra embryonic cells. And these are the only type of stem cells that can form extra embryonic cells. Everything else, once it's inside of the embryo, it, it's, it's stuck there. Um, next is pluripotent, and these can form all different types of cells of the body. And these pluripotent cells differentiate into multipotent cells. And multipotent cells, um, once they are differentiated into the specialized cell types, they only remain there. And these are most of the cells that make up an adult body. So from here, I'd like to define what chromatin is and get deeper into genetic materials and how um, they are formed and how they stay together. So chromatin is just any material that makes up chromosomes, so DNA, RNA, and proteins. Um, so how, DNA, how chromosomes are essentially formed is you have DNA strands that are wrapped around histones, and histones are support proteins that help DNA stay tight together um, in a complex called the nucleosome, which is the DNA and the histone together. And once the DNA is wrapped around the histone, the clusters of the two of the complex come together and form really tightly wrapped 
strands that eventually form the chromosome inside of the nucleus of each cell. And how we think that the DNA inside these chromosomes is affected in an epigenetic way um, is through a few different sort of markers. Um, when epigenetics was first coined as a term, methylation was considered the primary way that gene expression was altered in the body. Um, so methylation is simply adding a methyl group or a CH3 group to any given sequence of DNA, thus altering how it interacts with other molecules inside of the nucleus during transcription and translation. But now we know that other factors such as the protein folding or non-coding RNAs or polycomb proteins, um, which is a family of proteins that is involved in the differentiation um, during the transcription process. And now we know that any of these three and more processes or molecules um, are signs of epigenetic activity. So I have two final definitions that I believe are important for this paper. The first being plasticity, which is just the ability of an organism um, to adapt in a given environment in order to continue surviving. And the final definition is an epiallele. So an allele is any given variance in the form of a given gene. And an epiallele is an allele that can be altered based on genetic information. So it can either be expressed or not expressed or hidden depending on the type of epigenetic markers that are affecting that particular gene. So now we'll move on into the summary of the paper itself. So first off, the authors went over how the definition of epigenetics has changed over time. So it first started off with just how expression of a particular gene is either turned on or turned off. But now it is expanded into how not only how genes are turned on or off, but what mechanisms turn their on, turn them on and off what molecules are involved in the processes and how we can alter not only the mechanisms but which gene sequences um, are turned on or off um, the authors point out that they use their particular definition because it covers inheritance and non-inheritance so what is inherited intergenerationally and what is only affected in a certain individual but their definition also covers regulatory processes, the particular biological system of interest, and like I said, the overall inheritance of the epigenetic markers themselves. When epigenetics was first coined, it was only thought that methylation was the main actor in the alteration of gene expression. But now we know that alongside of methylation, histone modification, non-coding RNAs, and polycomb proteins also affect how this gene expression machinery either turns on or turns off. Depending on the size of the markers or the species or the environmental factors involved in the procurement of the epigenetic markers, they can potentially be transgenerational. For example, in the worm C. elegans, um, infection or signs of infection um, have shown up in their gene expression across multiple generations. The same thing has occurred in uh, plants when they are exposed to drought stress. This transgenerational inheritance can happen in a couple different ways. It can happen through modification of the chromatin elements, so like histone modification or DNA methylation, 
or can happen through a change in non-coding RNAs. So non-coding RNAs are DNA strands that have been transcribed into RNAs but are not then translated into proteins. And the main function of non-coding RNAs is essentially gene expression itself. So it can alter splicing of RNA, it can alter the chromatin folding, protein folding, everything like this that either turns on a gene or turns off a gene. So this is potentially possible in humans, but there obviously is limited research into this phenomenon. Additionally, mutations in the DNA sequences themselves can affect the epigenomic landscapes that are necessary for quote-unquote normal functioning of DNA expression. So the mutations can come from really anything, but it seems like the, the main mutations from a person's ancestry are the ones that are affecting the epigenomic landscapes. So mutations in the DNA sequences themselves will lead to an alteration of the binding sites for the transcription factors necessary to turn the DNA into RNA and then eventually into protein. And the altered binding for the transcription factors will lead to alternate proteins being produced and therefore alternative gene expression. And now we get to the really interesting part of epigenetics, which is how environmental cues affect gene expression. Now we get to the really interesting part of epigenetics, in my opinion, which is how environmental factors can influence the function of genes and their expression. Um, so there have been myriad experiments that have shown that the worm C. elegans can modify its genetic machinery based on external cues or infection and disease. But the classic example of epigenetic interaction with the environment is temperature. So in reptilian species and some fish, um, their offspring will develop as either male or female in varying numbers depending on the incubation temperature of the eggs. So this is an interesting problem in terms of climate change because in some species as the temperature increases, the incubation temperature increases, you're going to get mostly females and a few males. Whereas in other species you could get mostly males and only a few females. And this is a problem because species could become extinct if they don't have enough individuals of a certain sex in order to breed and keep the population thriving. In one species of Australian bearded dragons, the temperature-dependent sex determination will actually override the chromosomal determination of the offspring's sex. Some morphology influenced by gene expression has also been observed to be altered based on feeding pattern. So some species of ants will alter their their sizes as well as their feeding habits depending on epigenetic markers. So epigenetics plays not only a role in how genes are expressed but also when they're expressed. For example, studies have shown that epigenetic aging is the most closely related to biological aging. And this could be due to a decreased plasticity when someone ages. So as you get older, your body is going to slow down and it's going to have less ability to adapt to the environment or to new challenges that come its way. And this takes the form of a decrease of function or an increase of function, depending on the gene. And if geneticists are able to identify which genes cause a person to age faster, they could potentially alter how those genes are expressed and help humans live longer lives. New studies have shown that cancer can affect and can be affected by epigenetic actors inside of different genes. And this can happen a couple of different ways. The cancer can affect 
DNA mutation at specific points along a DNA sequence, which could cause irregular binding of transcription factors, or the cancer could affect the nucleosomes and the chromatin itself. So it could alter the methylation of a particular DNA sequence, or it could alter the histone and the histone modifiers themselves, thus affecting gene expression. Along with cancer, other diseases like diabetes, obesity, or neurological disorders have been shown to alter epigenetic activity in genes. So now we'll go ahead and get into the strengths and weaknesses of this paper. So I had a couple strengths that I thought were prominent that the artist touched on very well. Um, I first thought that they did a really good job of explaining where future studies need to go in order to expand the field of epigenetics. Um, sometimes in review papers they put a little bit, but they don't touch on it nearly as extensively as authors did in this paper. They also did a good job of discussing every area of genetic study that epigenetics has an influence on. Um, so not only just how it works, but the molecules that are involved in the process, as well as the processes themselves. And they also had some really good figures and boxes. So if you do get the chance to read this paper, which I highly recommend that you do, um, definitely take your time to look at the figures and read the boxes along the way. It will clear up a lot as well as provide you with a lot more information as to what we know in the field of epigenetics. As for the weaknesses of this paper, there wasn't a whole lot, but they didn't really discuss diseases as much as I expected them to. They touched on cancer as well as a few other diseases that I mentioned earlier. Um, towards the end of the paper, but I would have liked to have seen diseases discussed sort of throughout the paper. Having studied diseases in the past, I know how widespread they can be and how much of an impact they can potentially have on an individual or a population. So I would have liked to have seen how much influence these diseases could potentially have on the way epigenetic markers and processes function in the body. And as we go into our outro music made by yours truly, I'd just like to leave with a couple questions that I had after reading this paper. On page one, when they were discussing their definition of epigenetics, they mentioned if microbiota can contribute to the potential for the inheritance of epigenetic markers. And I would just like to know if whether or not it is possible, and if it is possible, how much of an impact would it actually have? Also on the first page, they mentioned the impact that the environment can have on epigenetic functions, which they do discuss later in the paper. But this led me to wonder what the impact of climate change would be on epigenetic processes. So for example, if plants during a dry year passed on the epigenetic markers of a drought to their progeny, would that progeny then grow up and then not be able to adapt to a normal wet year? And on the second to last page, they mentioned that having high levels of education can potentially decrease genetic aging. But they didn't really answer why, so I think I'm going to do a little bit of research into this for myself, just to see what others have said on this topic, and see why being well educated could slow down how you age. But that will do it for this episode of the Earth Sauce Podcast. If you had any questions, comments, or concerns, or you have a paper you would like me to review, go ahead and send that on over to podsauce, that's P-O-D-sauce at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I look forward to seeing you in the next one. And as always, stay saucy, my friends.